I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. Actually, we're going to treat a couple of verses from chapter 4 that we haven't done yet. I had more fun than I'm supposed to the last couple of weeks looking at a genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. You would think, man, you must be a boring person enjoying a genealogy. Well, maybe that's true, but I had fun. We're in Genesis chapter 4, the last two verses in Genesis chapter 5. Last week, we talked about Cain and Abel, uh, both of them being Adam's sons. One of them uh, brought an offering that was received and acceptable. The other, and it was of the first fruits. The other brought an offering. It was not received. That was Cain. God corrected him, told him, if you do well, you'll be fine. And the next thing you know, he goes out, has a conversation with his brother, and kills his brother. And so Cain did not do well. We fast-forwarded to Jude, and Jude mentioned uh, the, the concern about some who walk in the way of Cain, and we want to be very careful there. It's worth reading uh, Jude. It's also worth reading Second Peter. They're very similar. With Adam, it's very clear from Scripture that he represented the entire human race. Romans chapter 5 helps us understand that. Adam was our representative uh, in the garden, and, and that's very clear in Scripture. I want to suggest a possibility, uh, this is a possibility, I hope you hear that word, that Cain and Abel also represent two different facets of mankind also. Now this is speculation, I'm not by myself, I've read it um, from others. Uh, this is speculation, with Adam it's very clear. Because Scripture reiterates that Adam represented the human race. Scripture declares it as such. With Cain and Abel, it doesn't do that. Um, what we do know is that one of the brothers' offering was acceptable. The other brother's offering was not acceptable. They both came to God and sacrificed something. God told him how to correct it. He chose not to listen. It resulted in an additional curse. Sin always does that. If we fast forward just a bit to Israel, um, they do something very similar, at least the majority. They became religious, but their hearts were more inclined to fulfill law than it was to have a genuine devotion of, the, of uh, Jehovah God. They became religious, but their hearts were inclined to be, excuse me, they became religious, but their hearts were much more inclined to fulfill law rather than relationships. So much so that when Messiah came, the one that they had been looking for for a long time, they missed seeing their Messiah. Um, they didn't recognize him. They chose to focus on their religiosity in the midst of speaking scripture talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. And so that just brings a little bit more confusion into it. Then if we fast forward to after our Lord died and was resurrected to Jude's short epistle, he warns his readers to be careful of those in their midst who were religious, referred to as ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And he says an awful lot more uh, that's extremely hard. Immediately afterwards, Jude says this, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, I think that's interesting, that he says Jesus is the one who took Moses and the people out of the land of, of Egypt. But he says you once fully knew it, that Jesus, 
who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed all those who do not, did not believe. And so in the midst of those who are under the umbrella of God's people, there are always from Cain and Abel all the way up through Jude, those who believe and those amongst them who do not believe as well. And I think it's possible that Cain and Abel represent those two groups. Cain, who brought an offering, but it was not described as the first fruit or the best, even after God instructed him, he wasn't willing to change. Or some who believed, who left Egypt in contrast to those who did not believe and were destroyed. Or later in Israel's history, there was always a remnant who believed and honored God. Then there was the rest who did not. The same was true in Jesus' day, and Jude said it's true in the church as well. And if it was true in the church then, shortly after our Lord's resurrection, it's true in the church in 2023 also. As a pastor, as your pastor, I have a tremendous concern about something that I have absolutely no control over. I'm comfortable with no control, but I have a tremendous concern, I think because God's given me a pastor's heart, and that is the genuineness of everyone's person, every person in here, their faith in the Lord. Everyone that comes through these doors and worships with us, and we have a lot that visit, and some stay for a little while, and then they move on, or they don't go to church anywhere. But of all of those who come in and worship, especially of those who call this your church family, I have a concern that I cannot control that our faith be absolutely genuine in the Lord. We don't want to find ourselves in Cain's shoes. We don't want to find ourselves in the unbelieving, uh, the unbelieving Jews' shoes that left Israel. We don't want to find ourselves in the Pharisees' shoes who didn't recognize their Messiah, or those that Jude speaks of that were in the church who were clouds without water professed to know the Lord yet didn't have a genuine that yet didn't have a genuine relationship with him. I am comfortable with no control over that because I recognize that salvation it says in John is not of blood. I can't pass it along because I'm a blood because of a bloodline nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but it's of God. And so salvation, the genuineness of a relationship is a God work. It's only a God work. Now, there are people who have charismatic personalities and have the ability to persuade people with words, but they're not going to shoo anybody into the kingdom of heaven. They might shoo somebody down an aisle. They might get them baptized, but that's a God work. Salvation is only a God work, and so I have no control. But I have a concern that the, that the faith that we have is absolutely genuine. God attempted to grace Cain. I think if we could trace or if we chose to do so, God's activities through the Old Testament, we would see that he also attempted to grace and give opportunities to Israel many, many, many times. I think with Jude's epistle, he was doing the same thing in the church. In October, at a men's breakfast, the men that were present heard a testimony that I want all of us to hear at least some of it. It's a testimony of someone who was religious for a significant amount of their life, and then God gripped their heart because it's a God work, and now they have relationship. And so I asked Daniel Nichols, and he'll come up here in a minute, if he would be willing to allow me to ask him four questions. And I gave him the four questions, and that doesn't mean I won't throw another one in there. Uh, and I have a message, but we'll see if, it, if we get that far, all right? Uh, and so Daniel, come on up here. 
and I want to kind of interview you. Now, I have, come on up here. I have known Daniel since he was about this tall, all right? And I knew his mom and dad worked with him, um, loved them, and appreciate them. Um, Daniel um, sits up here. This is Paulina, his wife, and their clan, all right? Their clan plus one coming in, what, like two weeks? Hopefully one, all right, all right. Like hopefully by 11, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, um, Daniel, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your home. Well, take uh, your time. good morning and thank you, uh, Pastor Jerry, for the opportunity. I want to mention something that he, he just said about um, his concern that he mentioned just a few minutes ago, and that is, I'm paraphrasing here, but that is of, of the genuineness of uh, the faith of each one here. Can and, you hear way back there, Marilyn? And, keep, keep um, there you go. There you go. Thank you. And uh, one of the verses we just read in our um, family class just a little bit ago was just of the, of, the, of the nature of the responsibility God gave to elders, and that is to shepherd um, our souls. So uh, thank you to Pastor Jerry and all the elders here who have, again, a genuine concern of my faith, of my family's faith, of each one of our, our faith, because it's not something to be taken lightly at all. It's um, something very serious, and um, that, that is truly my wife and I's greatest concern in our prayer every day is for the salvation of each and every one of our children. So during this time of testimony, I want to make it very clear <clears throat> that this is not about me. This is not about my story. But this is about Christ and what he's done in my life. And I want to make much of him and uh, not of myself, as it says in Psalm 115. Not to, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory because of your loving kindness. Mm. Because of your truth. So, in answer to Pastor Jerry's first question, um, I was brought up in a home. I was actually born and raised in Brazil. My parents served with Pastor Jerry and Aunt Kathy uh, for several years. And, and um, my parents, sinners as I was, as all of us are, but I, I was truly blessed of the Lord to be raised in a home where I was, uh, as it says in Ephesians 6, 4, I was, I was brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And as it says in Deuteronomy 6, uh, they sought to instill in myself and my siblings a love for the Lord and a love for others and sought to teach, teach, of the, teach us that um, day and night as we rose up and as we went down at night and as we went, went about the way during, during the day. So that's... A, a brief um, description of my childhood and upbringing. So you would say that because of dad's teaching, mom and dad's influence, that you um, grew up with a knowledge of scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been in their home um, many times when they were uh, younger, and I have never been in a home that was so consistent of having devotions and humble and emphasizing relationships and reading the Word of God, interacting with the kids. I've never been in a home that consistent. Um, and so that's Daniel's environment that he grew up in, all right? Praise the Lord. 
Um, during the time from growing up until about six years ago, why do you believe or why did you believe that you were a follower of Christ, that you were a Christian? Yeah, so uh, um, we were on furlough. We were actually on furlough in um, Decatur, Illinois, way back in 1986. I was six years old. And um, I remember at that time, uh, I, w- I went to a vacation Bible school, and I made a profession of faith at six years old. Um, and, um, you know, in, in, in hindsight, I, I, I did it because there were other kids doing it. Um, and I, I knew, like Pastor Jerry said, I, I had a knowledge of, of God, of Scripture, and it was, just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and I was baptized at, um, at 12 years of age. But um, as it says, and, and I, I took notes last night, and in, in God's providence, the, those notes disappeared. So I'm, I'm going off, <laughs> off memory here. I was like, where did that draft go? Well, it disappeared. He's but. kinder to me because I could not handle it. <laughs> but I, I believe it says in uh, Jeremiah 17:9. The, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the answer is only God. Um, and, and my heart was deceived. And, and the thing about deception is you don't know it, right? You don't, I, I, I didn't know that I was being deceived. I was deceiving myself and deceiving others. And, and so for a very long time, there was this facade. There was this picture of someone who was truly transformed, but, but actually wasn't. Um, so, um, I'm not sure if that answered. Yeah, that's uh, fine. The uh, until six years ago, why did you believe you were a Christian? And so you're going through life from six years old up until forty. I'm, I'm 43 now, so, okay. six, there, so so from six up until you know 37, 38 years old, something like that, and um, talking God talk, doing God things, and how do you? What, how would you comment on that it was not genuine in relationship? Yeah. So, um, uh, besides the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I believe the Bible references John the Baptist as, as the greatest uh, born of women and, and, and the greatest preacher. And, and John the Baptist says, uh, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And um, the, the repentance is something often overlooked in our day and age, even in, in, the, in the church, but is not uh, something that's ambiguous in Scripture. It's very, very clear. And uh, that, is, that was something lacking in my life, was a genuine repentance, uh, a, a contrite spirit, uh, a brokenness over sin. Um, I think Scripture actually says there's two places where God dwells, and that is in a high and lofty pit place, and also with that of a contrite, broken spirit over his own sin. So in all of those years from then until 35, 36, 37 in there, was there an arrogant, I'm better than everybody else kind of thing going on in your mind and in your heart? Or was it just that I functioned in religiosity and I was just comfortable there? Which, what happened? I, I think a little bit of both, for sure. There, there definitely was a looking around um, in, in Brazil, uh, as, a, as an MK, there's definitely a temptation to look at the pagans around and oh, I'm not 
bowing down and worshiping idols like like they are. Hmm. But I was I was just as lost as they were. Okay. Very good. So a few years ago, you came to the conclusion that you weren't a genuine follower of Christ. Tell us about that. What happened? So, yeah, that, that's just of the Lord's grace and mercy in my life. There, there were many, many things that God used. Um, I, I, would, I would say one would, would, would definitely, if, if I can point the finger, it, it, one would be a, a message by Paul Washer. It's actually the one that he's most well known for. If, if you haven't watched that, I'd encourage you to watch it and share it with your, your, your family members. But it's, it's, it's one in which he went and spoke with some youth um, and he actually had, uh, if you watch the background of that message, he actually was planning on preaching about something totally different. And then he, he, he was really burdened of the Lord to, to preach through what the Bible says so clearly in Matthew seven thirteen through 29 about the two ways, um, the two gates, uh, the two destinies. Um, and God used that in my life to convict me of my uh, hypocrisy and my uh, False, false belief, and um, used verses. Um, I had all these written down, but um, uh, Joshua says to Achan, I believe in um, Joshua 7, I, I don't recall the verse, but uh, when, when Achan was found in his sin, uh, Joshua says, uh, my son, give glory to the, to the Lord and confess now everything that you did. So one of the ways that we can glorify God is by confessing our sin. Um, and Psalm 32 talks about David, um, uh, what happened when he um, uh, hid his sins, and then what happened when he, he uh, confessed and forsook his sins and the forgiveness um, that he had um, in Christ. So God used that, and, and my parents, uh, of course, were, were still praying for me, um, and um, it, I mean, my, my, my dad and, and mom to this day, I mean, frequently sent scriptures and good, just thought-provoking questions to all of us, just um, encouraging us to examine ourselves uh, to see if we're, we're truly in the faith. Um, so there, there, during, during the 6 through 37, I, I would say there, there was a tendency to, to um, especially after I got to the States and was out on my own, there was a tendency to uh, lean more towards soft teaching on sin, uh, kind of in the line with the, what Paul says to Timothy about those uh, uh, going towards those uh, it, with itching ears and tickling the ears, um, soft peddling uh, sin, and not being um, a, a coming down on that as 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 the Bible would, and then a, a shift towards um, really searching out what God said about my Him, His holiness, His perfect uh, standard, and, and my uh, frailty and and and. and need of him so so at 37 you came to the conclusion of i need to repent of my sin and believe jesus christ died on the cross for me is that true and was that during church was that um as you're working because god's working in your heart what happened that day yeah um i i I honestly can't point to an exact day it'd be just a just a, a time period around six years ago in which uh, again, the Lord brought me to genuine 
repentance of sin hmm. and, and faith in him and, and acknowledgement that that my claim of salvation before w- w- had had no had no uh, real um, th- 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 there, I was not bearing the fruits of the spirit um, in my life. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, just last one is um, if you had uh, the opportunity and you do, uh, what word of advice would you give to everyone within hearing distance today, either here or online? Here's where I have to totally go off memory because I wrote three things down. So um, number one would be second Corinthians 13, five says, test yourselves to see if you're truly in the faith, examine yourselves. That's not a popular message nowadays, but it's the truth, and we all need to hear that, right? Again, we, we deceive ourselves so easily. And If I may. Yep. And yep. one of the ways that we deceive ourselves is we hang on to phrases that come from denominations or right. groups, like once saved, always saved. And I like to call that, if you're really saved, you're really saved. But what you ought to do is what first, uh, first, Second Corinthians 13, 5, I mean, this is off his no, no notes, and he's quoting these things, is te- be willing to examine ourselves and make sure we're in the faith. Um, God loves us and wants us to know that. So go ahead. Amen. Amen. And, and Pastor Jerry's uh, messages through the book of James, which when we joined the church here a year ago, we were going through the book of James. So um, those would be some good ones to look up and, and uh, listen to through those messages, especially James chapter 2, I believe. Um, but um, th- there's, th- we're, we're talking about our eternal destiny, so there's, there's nothing of greatest importance, right? Uh, what shall it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his own soul? Um, so there, there's pretty much two things that, that two different things that, that we can hear on that day, on that judgment day, and it'd be the the most terrifying words that we could possibly imagine us hearing or any one of our family, and that could be found in Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three, where Jesus says uh, to not to not to Muslims, not to Buddhists, not to Hindus, not to people who are pagan and atheists. He'll say this to people who claim Lord, Lord. And claim to do all these things in the name of the Lord. Wow. He'll say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay. That's, that's sobering, but we all need to hear that. Or, or we can hear the words, I believe, uh, of Christ in the parable of where he gives the talents. And he says in Matthew 25, I believe, um, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, you have been faithful in a little. I'll, I'll give you more. Well, welcome, uh, you know, into the kingdom. Uh, I, I want to hear the latter and be able to say. Uh, actually, I'll save this at the end. But that—that that was the number one. Uh, so, be the uh, be dil- Let's be diligent and daily examining ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. Number two. Uh, Ask the Lord to give you a genuine hunger and thirst for his word that will delight in God's law and God's word more and more each day and that that uh, will lead us to be like the Bereans who are spoken of 
very highly in Scripture. Acts 17.11 talks about them uh, hearing the Apostle Paul, who obviously was a great preacher of the Lord, and not just, oh, it's the Apostle Paul, we'll just believe whatever he says. No, it says they examine Scripture to see if it was so. And then number three, um, ask the Lord to give you a genuine heart for the lost. They're all around us. Just think of how many of our neighbors, our coworkers, are dying every day and going to spend eternity. And like Pastor Jerry said, we can't save them, but we have the message of the gospel. And, and God calls us not to save people. God calls us to be faithful and to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, preach the word in, in season and out. And make disciples. And, and clo- I'll, I'll need to read this because it's, um, I, I don't have it by memory. But um, Well, if you could work on that next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 2.13, two, two passages in closing. That it's all work of the Lord, amen. Amen. He justifies us, and He's the one that sanctifies us. To Him be the glory. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then, second, uh, Timothy 4. It, it is my prayer, and, and I, I would challenge you that it be your prayer as well. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in one of the last books that he wrote. Second Timothy 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knew, he knew death was coming soon. And here's what he said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. First John chapter 5 says, John wrote, I write these things, verse 13, to you, to you who believe. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he wrote five chapters to those who believe, that would be us here who name the name of Christ, so that we may know that we have eternal life. And Daniel mentioned the the importance of and the significance of examining yourself, testing yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. John, the same author of the gospel, wrote this at the end of his gospel. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if you want to have a confidence that's beyond some denominational phrase, and you should want that, you should want a biblical confidence from God that you're born again, First John says, read these things, five chapters, because I wrote them so that you 
who believe may know that you genuinely believe. And if you get to the conclusion and you think, like Daniel did until he was 37 years old, you know what? Maybe everything is in my head, but there isn't anything in my heart with a personal relationship. Go to John and read John's gospel because he said, I wrote these chapters so that you could know who Jesus is and believe and have eternal life. God doesn't want us wondering, and He doesn't want us hanging on to some once saved, always saved kind of a phrase, or I prayed a prayer when I was four or seven or eight. It could have been genuine. That de- depends on each individual, but He wants us to have a confidence. And I thought that Cain and Abel and what happened with them was a good springboard into a reminder like that because Cain brought an off, he made an offering of his hard work to the Lord, and it wasn't accepted. Evidently, he fell short of what it was that God had instructed him to do. God, in his grace, said, Cain, just do this. If you do what's well, you'll be fine. But he didn't want to do that. He was okay with his religiosity, and it drew a line, and then the next thing you know, he's being cursed as a result of it. I don't, and my pastor's heart said, I hope that all of us are willing to examine ourselves. So let me ask you, and let me ask me, when was the last time I examined myself to make sure that I was genuinely in the faith, that I don't think I'm special because I'm a pastor or because I teach God's word, but that I have, by the grace of God and his mercy, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that as well. I think I can do what I want to do with Genesis chapter 5 in about 12, 13 minutes, all right? I had so much fun with this. This is what I went into Genesis 5 asking. Did Noah sit on Grandpa Adam's lap? We have, we, have some, we have 10 generations that are mentioned, and we have all of the years that are there. And so in the spirit of Gary Van Riesen, I got out my calculator, and I started adding and subtracting to figure out how old was Noah, or was Noah alive yet, when Adam died. We're in Genesis chapter 5. It says in verse 25 of chapter 4, Adam knew his wife again. Cain had already killed Abel. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son, called his name Seth, which means appointed or substituted. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a unique phrase, isn't it? At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 5 gives us a time frame for when people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, excuse me, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And then in verse 6, it says, When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And that was the time when people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we're talking about 235 years. So think about America and how old we are. A little bit less than that. We're talking 235 years after Adam was created that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. One commentator suggests that this is likely the beginning of public worship of the Lord in contrast to the individual meeting with the Lord like Cain and Abel and Adam used to do. 
Another suggests, both of which might be true or partially true, is that this references the beginning of the practice of prayer, maybe indicating God's immediate presence was no longer accessible or as often as it was before. And so men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam, when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man uh, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So like Adam was made in the likeness of God and after his image, now now. Adam, in the likeness of God and after his image, now, now Adam fathers a son in his likeness and after his image. So what we know from Romans 5 when we fast forward is everybody from Adam downward has a sin nature. That would be true of Seth and all of the others that come after him as well. Romans 5 verse 12 says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Genesis 5, 4, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. That's a lot. 130 years old when he had him. 800 years later, he had, uh, he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Each of these individuals that chapter 5 is going to trace and mention has two things said about them. One of them is they had other sons and daughters. We don't know their names. We don't know how many Um, But they were being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. They were being obedient to that command that God had given. Though Genesis 5 only traces the line of the promised seed. That doesn't mean the other sons and daughters weren't significant and important. It doesn't mean that they didn't have opportunities to be graced by God with his mercy. Um, It just traces those of the promised seed. It means God wanted the line of the promised seed traced, which kind of takes us back to chapter 2, verse 15, where the serpent was cursed, uh, the bru- that his head would be bruised, uh, he would, his heel would be bruised, um, but the serpent's head would be crushed. With a biblical account, I want you to hear this, with a biblical account, we don't have to be confused with our world's millions and millions of years, or Carl Sagan's, if you remember the video we saw, his star stuff. We don't have to be confused with that. We have a really good pre-flood record. And then in Genesis 11, the author traces Noah's son Shem's line through Abraham's promised seed. And later, because of the often read passage during this season, which is the Christmas season, we have the story of the genealogies of the promised seed Jesus through both Mary and Joseph. And both of them are significant and important. Mary's was important, that it would be a virgin birth. Joseph's was important, that there would be a line that went back to David's throne as well. With a, biblical, with a biblical account, we don't have to be confused. The other thing that's said about everyone in this 10 genealogy account is that, and he died. And the reason he died is be, minus one, which would be Enoch, is because they're sons of Adam. And I can't help but think of the words, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. 
I did a funeral yesterday. Marge Richardson was secretary here for about 30 years, 97 years old. Um, She laid down. We talked about sleep, how scripture describes uh, our death as believers as a sleep. After 97 years old, she was probably ready to sleep. But the words came to my, the thoughts came to my mind. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. And each one of these uh, individuals is described as dying as well. So that the perpetual curse on Adam and his descendants continued and continues even today. Genesis 5 gives us an excellent time frame reference from Adam to Noah. And then in Genesis 7 verse 6, if you want to look at it, it tells us how old Noah was when the flood came. Noah was 600 years old, 7 verse 6, when the, wa- when the flood of the waters came upon the earth. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. And so we have a very good time frame from when God created Adam from the dust of the earth all the way through Noah and then from Noah all the way to Abraham and then because of the New Testament from Abraham all the way to Jesus. We don't have to wonder about star stuff and millions and millions of years. The question is, am I going to follow Jesus and what he believed? And about four or five weeks ago we did a message and quoted seven or eight different places in the, in the Gospels where Jesus referenced Genesis. He believed in the Genesis account as well. I'm following Jesus regardless of how smart somebody is and says that the world's made of star stuff. Genesis 5, thus, verse 8, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And I want to read this. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalaleel. Kenan lived after his father Mahalaleel. I don't know if I can pronounce that thing twice the same way. 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Amazing numbers of 910 years, 905, 912, 930. Uh, Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalaleel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalaleel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalaleel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he was a young buck, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, but it doesn't say and he died. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And we find reference to that in the New Testament as well. Verse 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech, this is Noah's dad, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, 
Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So his father prophesied over him as a little baby. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that doesn't mean that they were triplets. It just describes that he had those three um, sons when he was 500 years old. The question that comes to my mind is how in the world did these people live so long and why don't we live that long? We don't live 777 years or 930 years. Marge lived 97 and that's pretty significant. Uh, I talked with, I think it was Charlie, I was talking with Charlie this week, his mother lived to be 100 years old. But that, we don't see that very often. How is it that these people did? What we don't have in scripture is an explanation for why they lived a long time and why we don't have, and why we don't have life that long. But I wanna give us a couple of thoughts, but I want us to recognize these are theories, okay? So theories are not the same as scripture. Scripture speaks truth. These are maybe it was because of that things. And then we have a declaration from scripture that limits the number of years that we live as well. One theory is called the canopy theory. And the canopy theory really, really simply stated so that I can understand it. The canopy theory states and suggests that prior to the flood, there was a water canopy that helped protect screen the sun, and prolong man's life. That thought comes from Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, but let me say again, it's secondary uh, as far as truth is concerned. It comes from Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, where it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, second month, 17th day, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, the windows of the heavens were opened, that would be the canopy, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. It had never rained before, so God caused this canopy to burst. Perhaps that's a possibility of one of the reasons that contributed to them living longer. Another thought is that while sin had entered the world with its curse and disease and sickness began to happen as well, the diseases of their day would have been much less than the diseases of our day. Let me give just a couple of examples. We used to have hepatitis A and B. Now we have hepatitis A, B, C, and the others. There are so many others that they don't even label them, okay? And so the diseases have spread and expanded as much. We have so many flus these days that they put numbers and letters on the flus that look like license plates so that they can label them. Our coronavirus buddy, they say that it has mutated 43 times since COVID-19 or 50, depending upon who you read. And this is where it gets really, really shaky. They've traced the coronavirus back to Neanderthal 40,000 years ago. And so I'm thinking, hmm, not sure if I want to go with that one or not. But the diseases of our day are so much, so, so much more than the diseases of that time that maybe that contributed to them being able to live longer as well. What we do know is that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide or strive in man forever, for he is flesh, his day shall be 120. So instead of 930 or 777 or 895, God said 120. And that's about all they're going to get. And it is, it, it is rare that somebody hits upper 90s or 100 years old these days. And so we see that. 
I wanted to mention that Enoch walked with God. It says, verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. I want you to understand that there's an Enoch and a Lamech in Cain's line as well. It's a different Enoch, a different Lamech than Seth's line. So when you're reading about about Lamech or Enoch, you need to read the context and see if it's a son of Seth, a descendant of his, of his, or if it's from, or if it's from uh, Cain. You have to be careful that you do that. Lamech, and I'm finishing up here, is Noah's father. Lamech was 56 years old, if you do the math, when Adam died, and so all of those generations had the opportunity of interacting with Adam. And I think that because these are the promised seed generations, Adam likely, likely made, made careful focus and contact with those that were in these lines. He was 56 years old when Adam died. Lamech could have talked with the one who was formed from the dust of the ground. The days when Lamech was, were alive were evil days, so evil that God tells his son Noah to build an ark because I'm going to destroy Everybody and everything that's living in the world, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. All right? Maybe Adam would have said to Lamech and Methuselah and Enoch and Jared and Mahalael and Kenan and Enosh and Seth, I was the one who ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the death and the evil that we have in our world is on me. And it is. And humbly, they would have responded to Grandpa, Grandpa, I would have done the same thing if I were in your shoes. Because we all would have. That's who we are. That's what we are. Lamech prophesied of Noah at his birth, saying out of the ground uh, uh, that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands, Noah, in some ways, serves as a type of Christ. He saved mankind in his day, just as Jesus did. That's referred to in 1 Peter chapter 3. What I want us to recognize is that in the midst of sin, God protected Adam and Eve and the human race, put them out of the garden, guarded the tree of life, and has this promised seed line where the Messiah is ultimately going to come from. And isn't it fitting that we're coming up to a Christmas season when we celebrate the birth of our Lord, whether it happened on that day or not. And, and that's because he's the promised seed. We don't have to wonder about doctors and, and, and professors who talk about millions and millions of years. We have a very good genealogy with very specific years that are mentioned. Now, the interesting thing about these years is that it says in the 130th year of Adam's life, he had Seth. Well, we don't know if that was the beginning of that year or if that was at the end of that year. And so there's a few months wiggle room in there with each one of those generations. But there aren't any more than 10 years in there. That's the wiggle room. And so we have a very good, we have a very good genealogy. Teenagers, everyone really 
I want to challenge you to consider the veracity, the truthfulness, the accuracy of God's word. Give God's word its due attention. Amen, Daniel? Don't just know it because you were taught it as a kid, but give yourself to it and say, God, work in my heart, teach me, show me, open my eyes that your word is truth. We all need that, not just teenagers, we all do. You won't hear that taught in a public school. You go to Lone Jack, and I love the teachers, most of them, love, the te- love them all, like some of them. <laughs> uh, you're not going to hear that in Lone Jack because they don't let them do that. And I'll, t- I'll tell teachers, I'll t- I just tell teachers, talk about Jesus. If you get fired, you get fired for Jesus. That's okay. But you're not going to hear that in a public school, but we ought to hear it in the church. Give God's word its due diligence and allow God to show himself strong um, because of his word. We think sometimes we're too smart for it, or if there's somebody that thinks they're too smart for it, we're not. God has given us, though, incredible abilities. He said at Babel, if I don't go down and confound their language, there is nothing they won't be able to do. So the ability to even categorize flus with numbers and letters so that they know what strain it is and where and what race it is, that's amazing all by itself. But we should never think that we're going to get smarter than God. And when we consider that it's millions and millions and billions of years and who knows what God is doing and that there's this star stuff out, we don't have to do that. God's word gives us a very specific timeline in Genesis chapter 5, over in Genesis chapter 11, over in uh, Matthew 1, Luke chapter 2 as well. We, we have, we have, we have the, the genealogies of, of the promised seed. And I wanted us to consider that. God has cared for us and cared for us well. Let's be followers of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. I think about Daniel and Daniel Nichols and just his willingness to stand in front of people and say, I lived in a home having declared that I was a follower of Christ for a long time and came to the conclusion that I was not. And I thank you for his willingness and the courage that you've given him and the desire to glorify you by communicating that message. And Father, I pray that with every person in this place, you would give us ears to hear what he said when he said, test yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith. Truth from your word. And Father, I pray that we would do that. That we wouldn't just be slothful spiritually, lazy spiritually or mentally, but that we would test ourselves, be brutally honest before you, examining ourselves to make sure that we're genuinely followers of Jesus. Not that we can say the right stuff or offer the right stuff like Cain did, but that we genuinely are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because of your mercy and because of your grace. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you work in our hearts individually as we seek you. And I pray that's what we would do. Seek you with all of our heart. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.